0: Hello, everybody. Today, we are doing part two of two in our uh, Emma Goldman miniseries. Um, we've kind of talked about up until her return to the United States, which was generally positive coverage except from communist publications. Um, I, I mean, She's such an inspiring fucking woman, dude. Um, I just wanted to thank everybody for tuning back in. And uh, I would assume that Trisha does too.
1: Right. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I love delving into the details about her life. She was such a fucking badass and so ahead of her time. And prophetic as fuck when it came to the things that she was predicting were going to be the problems because of not taking the routes that she wanted to take.
0: Right. And I mean, for that matter, for being like a not-Marxist, she sure sure has a good understanding of materialism.
1: Yes. Yes. I don't know. She might not have called herself a Marxist, but a lot of her views and actions still come across as such because of um, her her work to actually raise the material conditions of the working class people.
0: Right. Um, but before we jump back into the story, which we'll do a little bit better of a recap after we come back from the video, but I have some really grainy, really bad footage from 1934 awesome um, so I mean we might not get a good look at her compared to photographs um, but at least we'll get to hear her using her own words and her own voice
1: great right all right well let's hop in the time machine and go check out the screen grainy-
2: Emma Goldman, the famous anarchist leader, has returned to the United States after an exile of 15 years. I'm delighted to be back in the United States, my hunting ground of 35 years, the country where I had my innings in the social and economic struggle, and where I decided to devote myself to the presentation of anarchism as social philosophy which aims at the emancipation, economic, social, political, and spiritual of the human race. Emma Goldman was perhaps the best known of the many immigrant anarchists who had come from countries all over Europe. Italians, Russians, Germans and Spaniards had been converted to the ideas of anarchism first preached by the Russians Michael Bakunin and Peter Kropotkin.
0: Both of whom are the immigrant anarchists, anarchic anarchists
2: list, envisioned uh, a world that? without leaders, a system of mutual aid made up of interlocking federations and communes. The anarchists hoped their persistent educational efforts would pay off when the working classes would spontaneously rise up and overthrow their oppressors. These immigrants created a whole self-contained culture with their own schools, colonies, newspapers, and publications. Together with other immigrant groups, they led anti-war protests during the
0: First World War and were active in fighting the rising tide of fascism during the 1930s and 40s. And they were also the prime targets of government repression, earmarked for wholesale arrests, deportation, and lifelong harassment. (laughs)
2: What do you think about Russia, Miss Goldman? I consider Russia and America the most interesting countries in the world today. How about Hitler? I don't know him and don't want to. What is your opinion of Italy? Beautiful country minus Mussolini. Miss Goldman, should the government here object to your speeches of anarchism, would you change them or leave the country? I will leave the country rather than deny my ideas. I prefer to stick to my gun.
0: So yeah, obviously not the greatest, uh, newsreel clip ever. Definitely grainy, Um and kind of awkward, obviously, like video interviews like that were a, real, a, a, a very new thing at the time. And you can tell.
1: They did not know how to do the lighting right. All you could see was her glasses. Right.
0: <laughs> right. Um. So highlights. Uh, what do you think about Italy? Beautiful country minus Mussolini. Great. Nice. Uh. America, my hunting grounds of 35 years. Remember that she was deported in part for an attempted assassination, as well as encouraging people to, you know, resist the draft. But, um, yeah, she literally had attempted assassinations under her belt. And then she came back to America 15 years later and referred to it as her hunting grounds. I thought that was just epic.
1: Same. Yeah, for her to say that on live TV, it's just like, damn. (laughs) (laughs) She wasn't pulling no fucking punches. Right. No holds barred. Whoops. But at that point, uh, she probably figured, fuck it. Like, what are you going to do? Kick me out of the country again?
0: Right. Right. (laughs) How ridiculous is that in the first place? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. All right fuck although i mean i guess it's not as bad as sitting in prison on murder charges or attempted murder charges but you know there's also the factor of they didn't want to look at did the motherfucker deserve (laughs) the attempted murder
0: yeah yeah. right right yeah um so i just want to you know, do a little bit of a recap in case, you know, maybe somebody's jumping into this in part two or, uh, you know, it's been a whole week. Maybe, maybe somebody forgot some details, but she was born in 1869 in Lithuania, uh, to a Russian Jewish family of shopkeepers educated in East, East Prussia and St. Petersburg, uh, where she moved with her family in 1881 months after the assassination of Tsar Alexander II. Um, Goldman lived in a world ruled by fear and secret police, uh, a world in which even the mildest expression of dissent would be summarily crushed. Um, That added a lot to her ideology. Um, She thought correctly, in my opinion, that nobody should have to live under those conditions. Right. Right um as a teenager she began to embrace the ideas of the russian revolutionary movement um of course we're referring to the february revolution um and then the october revolution followed that obviously um but in that point in time the movement wouldn't have been so defined as it would become in the 1920s um Remember that the Russian revolutionary movement before the revolution wasn't just communists. It was communists and anarchists, and even um, more, you know, like utopian socialists. Um, the movement imagined a society of free equals. I mean, that's that's to sum it up. Uh, in 1885, she moved to the U.S. Uh, she was disappointed. Her hopes definitely outran the the dreary reality of working in a clothing factory and a brief unhappy marriage to a fellow worker. A year after her arrival, she was shocked by the trial, conviction, and execution of labor activists, falsely accused, uh, accused of a bombing in Chicago's Haymarket Square. We have a piece about that. Um, it's titled The Haymarket Riot or The Haymarket Affair, one of the two. Um We also have a piece about Eugene Debs, who who was heavily involved uh, with the strike that led to the incident at Haymarket Square.
1: Right. He got charged with the same thing that she and her old man had of, you know, inciting people to, yes, sedition, inciting people to not follow the draft to fucking refuse to sign up for it. And it's like, how the fuck can you even call that a crime to tell somebody don't do this? If your heart, your soul doesn't fucking agree with this. If you don't want to go fight this fucking unjust war, don't do it.
0: Right. Um, so in 1889, um, She left her sister's family and her husband, ordered a train for New York. Um, She joined the German anarchist movement. Um, Johann Most kind of helped shape Goldman into a witty, provocative speaker. Uh, And she also met Bertman, uh, Alexander Bertman. Um, I guess the best way to describe their relationship really is soulmate. They may have... Drifted apart and back together again throughout the years, but it, it it's very clear that they care deeply about each other, to say the least.
1: Right.
0: Um. And, and they, as a as a pair, expressed an idea of revolutionary violence, um, propaganda of the bee, uh More specifically, they believed that if they got rid of Frick, they'd ignite. A revolution. Um, But they didn't have, they didn't, I guess, this critique of it kind of says they really don't understand that there is a difference between living in the United States and living in Tsarist Russia. In other words, uh, what they needed was a cultural translator, somebody to Uh, translate what they already knew from their collectivized (laughs) upbringings in other countries to, you know, make it relatable to the American working class. Um, And I guess that's probably a fair critique. I mean, they very much did uh, seem to have the same kind of... um, It was very obviously like European, including Russian, um, influenced and, you know, not the material conditions weren't the same
1: right and the ideals were not as palatable to a lot of people here because they didn't grasp yet why they should be against the capitalism that was exploiting them or they were the exploiters themselves that were fighting back against her you know um so it's it was just a different context of how to apply those ideals
0: So um, in 1901, President William McKinley was assassinated by a uh, self-proclaimed anarchist, I'm not even going to try to butcher his name, uh, Leon Z, who who said he was inspired by one of Goldman's lectures. Goldman came to his defense, although they had no previous connection, saying, as an anarchist, I am opposed to violence but if people want to do away with assassins they must do away with the conditions which produce murderers if that's not a fucking if that's not a Marxist critique <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: right <laughs>
0: um,
1: these are the material conditions that produce this situation where people have no choice but to literally defend their life by killing the people who are exploiting the fuck out of them and committing violence upon the masses through that
0: yeah, and, and I mean throughout her life, Goldman would oppose violence in theory but defend it in practice by shifting the blame for acts of violence onto the state and governing classes. Um, which I mean, that pretty much exactly sums up what you just said. <clears throat> <laughs> um. So, Berkman ended up in prison. Uh, throughout this entanglement with the McKinley situation. Or no, no, the Frick situation. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, And and he was sentenced to 14 years in prison. And during that time, she kind of made a career out of public speaking. Um, And her eloquence was legendary. She often began her lectures with a quick humorous quip about the police or current politics, followed by a sweeping talk linked to contemporary issues that displayed her signature political and cultural critique of hypocrisy. Uh, if that's not still fucking relevant today, holy shit. Right. Um, and, uh... Then,
1: 1906 to 19, uh,
0: 1917, she published the influential anarchist magazine Mother Earth devoted to politics and literature. Um... Yeah. Anyway, what were you saying?
1: <laughs> it's it's all good. Let's let's move forward because we are just doing a recap of some stuff we covered last week, real quick, too, just to just catch anybody up to speed. Right. Uh,
0: so, speed. at the height of the the first Red Scare, which we also have a piece about. Goldman and Berkman were, were in uh, in prison for opposing the draft during World War One. We already talked about that. She served two years at the Missouri State Penitentiary in Jefferson City. Berkman sat in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And because of that, after their prison sentence, they were deported to Soviet Russia. Uh, just as the revolution there sank into an abyss of corruption and tyranny, it says. Um, she, she said, well, she wrote two books basically critiquing soviet russia um, but she said quote all my life i fed on the wonderful spirit of russia then to have found it prostrate kicked into the gutter attacked on all sides and during tortures dante uh, dante's inferno did not contain above all stabbed in the heart by its own friends and then not to be able to help even a little bit but it was impossible um so she, they, I should say, eventually lived in France. Um, and she wrote an autobiography called Living My Life. Uh, that was published in 1931. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody should read that. I haven't yet. That doesn't mean I won't. <coughs> and...
1: Uh, the. Uh, book club list
0: yeah um, so now we're caught back up um, so in February and March 1936, Bertman underwent a pair of prostate gland operations recuperating in Nice and cared for by his companion, Emmy Eckstein he missed Goldman's 67th birthday in St. Tropez in June she wrote in sadness, but he never read the letter. She received a call in the middle of the night that Bertman was in great great distress. She left for Nice immediately, but when she arrived that morning, Goldman found that he had shot himself and was in a uh, a nearly comatose paralysis, and he died later that evening. So you know, a tragic ending to a, what like thirty year roughly. Um, not just you know like personal relationship but also working relationship they did fucking everything together for years
1: right man that must have broken her heart in so many fucking pieces
0: yeah I agree uh, do you want to pick it up uh, we're back in the Wikipedia. Do you want to pick it up at Spanish Civil yeah. War? Yep.
1: Yeah. Um, in July 1936, the Spanish Civil War started after an attempted coup d'état by parts of the Spanish Army against the government of the Second Spanish Republic. At the same time, the Spanish anarchists fighting against the nationalist forces started an anarchist revolution. Goldman was invited to Barcelona, and in an instant, as she wrote to her niece, quote, the crushing weight that was pressing down on my heart since Sasha's death left me as by magic. She was welcomed by the uh, Confederation Confederación Nacional de Trabajo, the CNT, and the Federation Anarquista Iberica. Probably destroying those, but eh. um. Uh, For the first time in her life, she lived in a community run by and for anarchists, according to true anarchist principles. Uh, She wrote later that, quote, in all my life, I have not met with such warm hospitality, comradeship, and solidarity. After touring a series of collectives in the province of Cuesca, which I also might be destroying, um, (laughs) she told a group of workers, quote, your revolution will destroy forever the notion that anarchism stands for chaos. She began editing the weekly CNT-FAI information bulletin and responded to English language mail. Uh, Goldman began to worry about the future of Spain's anarchism when the CNT-FAI joined a coalition government in 1937 against the core anarchist principle of abstaining from state structures and more distressingly, made repeated concessions to communist forces in the name of uniting against fascism. In November 1936, she wrote that cooperating with communists in Spain was, quote, a denial of our comrades in Stalin's concentration camps. Russia, meanwhile, refused to send weapons to anarchist forces and disinformation campaigns were being waged against the anarchists across Europe and the US. Her faith in the movement was unshaken, though. She returned to London as an official representative of the CNT-FAI. Delivering lectures and giving interviews, she enthusiastically supported the Spanish anarcho syndicalists She wrote regularly for Spain and the World, a bi-weekly newspaper focusing on the Civil War. In May 1937, however, communist-led forces attacked anarchist strongholds and broke up agrarian collectives. Newspapers in England and elsewhere accepted the timeline of events offered by the Second Spanish Republic at face value. British journalist George Orwell, uh, present for the crackdown, wrote, "...the accounts of the Barcelona riots in May beat everything I have ever seen for lying." Goldman returned to Spain in September, but the CNT-FAI appeared to her like people in a burning house. Worse, anarchists and other radicals around the world refused to support their cause. The nationalist forces declared victory in Spain just before she returned to London. Frustrated by, the, um, by England's repressive atmosphere, which she called more fascist than the fascists, she returned to Canada in 1939. Her service to the anarchist cause in Spain was not forgotten, however. On her 17th birthday, the former Secretary General of the CNT-FAI, Mariano Vasquez, sent a message to her from Paris, uh, praising her for her contributions, and naming her as, quote, our spiritual mother. She called it the most beautiful tribute I've ever received.
0: That's awesome. Um, So, like, I guess I want to talk a little bit about... (laughs) Um, I don't know enough about the Spanish Civil War Okay, and I do think Actually, I'm going to write this down That is something that we should uh, Dive deeper into Because I know that it's a It's a nuanced situation And it's complex <clears throat> Um, But I, I think that the Force that the communists came out with in the Spanish Civil War had to do with the brutality that they were facing from the fascists. Um, I don't think that they should have cracked down on the anarchist strongholds, but um, I, I, I I highly doubt that it's as cut as dry or cut and dry, rather, as uh, this makes it sound. And I do know the Span- I, what I do know about the Spanish Civil War is that it was a hairy, bloody fucking intricate mess essentially so one of these days I would really like to dive into it and try to kind of <laughs> decipher what really happened in the Spanish Civil War all around
1: Hell yeah. I'm down
0: um Ow. Oh, sorry. You all that? right so in her final years um would, which would be the, the events preceding World War Two uh, in Europe, at least Goldman reiterated her opposition to wars waged by governments, uh, saying, quote, much as I loathe Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin and Franco, she wrote to a friend, I would not support a war against them and for the democracies, which in the last analysis are only fascist in disguise. She felt that Britain and France had missed their opportunity to oppose fascism and the the coming war would only result in a new form of madness in the world. Damn. I mean, Uh, I would would argue that she wasn't wrong. I mean, now look at look at how the neoliberal order has been running things for the last 50 years. Um, And I obviously that this goes farther back than that even. But look. In the last 50 years the the slow progression overall to fascism um what she's saying about bourgeois democracies uh ultimately is accurate that they're only fascists in disguise i completely agree with that and the new form of madness in the world is well i mean probably the out of control boom and bust cycle and uh well, that would that would fuel it anyway. But the new more the new form of madness in the world could be seen as a prediction of neoliberalism, which really rose to power in the eighties with Thatcher and Reagan.
1: And now look where it's gotten us.
0: Right. Um in just one second um okay so um, goldman later said that the spanish civil war had influenced her more profoundly than her experience in russia <clears throat> um, so then we're, we're getting to the, you know, late 1930s, obviously. And uh, February 17th, uh, 1940, Goldman suffered a debilitating stroke. Uh, she became paralyzed on her right side. And although her hearing was unaffected, she couldn't speak. And a friend described it just to think that here was Emma, the greatest orator, the greatest orator in America, unable to utter one word. Uh, for three months, she improved slightly, receiving visitors, and on one occasion, gesturing to her address book to signal that a friend might find friendly contacts during a trip to Mexico. She suffered another stroke on May 8th. However, and May 14th, she died in Toronto, age 70. Uh, The U.S. Immigration and Naturalization Service allowed her body to be brought back to the United States, and she was buried in German Waldheim Cemetery, which is now called Forest Home Cemetery, in Forest Park, Illinois, a suburb suburb of Chicago, near the graves of those executed after the Haymarket Affair. Uh, The bas-relief on her grave marker was created by sculptor Joe Davidson, and the stone includes the quote, liberty will not descend to a people. A people must raise themselves to liberty. Um, and obviously we were already towards the end of her life when we started this piece, which ultimately the reason that we did it <clears throat> so or was so we could talk a little bit more about her philosophy because obviously the focus is on her life. Uh, but there's a whole lot more to who Emma Goldman was than just the things that she did. We haven't talked about any of her writings, really. Uh, We haven't talked about what influenced her. Um, And and I felt like this would be incomplete if we didn't include that
1: context. I I agree. Uh, She spoke and wrote extensively on a wide variety of issues while she rejected orthodoxy and fundamentalist thinking, she was an important contributor to several fields of modern political philosophy. She was influenced by many diverse thinkers and writers, including Mikhail Bakunin, Henry David Thoreau, Peter Kropotkin, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Nikolai Chernyshevsky, and Malty. Or I'm. Another one, Tricia. Mary Wallstonecraft.
0: So I just wanted to interject here to say that uh Bakunin is somewhere on our uh book club list. Uh Kropotkin is fairly soon on our book club list. Um because like I said before, we realized that we kind of have been a little communist focused lately. Um, and we're trying not to let personal views influence that. We we want to give uh, anarchists and shit, dude, even social democrats and democratic socialists a, a platform here. This is for the whole life, not just communists. So um, Bakunin is probably a little farther down the list, but Kropotkin uh, specifically, um, mutual aid a factor of evolution uh, for other good content ref- uh, revolving around Kropotkin check out the bread theory on YouTube they have a series about the conquest of bread nice <laughs> um, so if you're if you're unfamiliar with Kropotkin Kropotkin sorry uh, I think that would be an excellent starting point Otherwise, you can wait until we get to mutual aid. All
1: right. <laughs> uh, anarchism was central to Goldman's view of the world, and she's today considered one of the most important figures in the history of anarchism. First drawn to it during the persecution of anarchists after the Haymarket Affair, she wrote and spoke regularly on behalf of anarchism. Um, in her book, Anarchism and Other Essays, which is also coming up on our Uh, book club episodes uh, she said anarchism then really stands for the liberation of the human mind from the dominion of religion the liberation of the human body from the dominion of property liberation from the shackles and restraint of government anarchism stands for a social order based on the free grouping of individuals for the purpose of producing real social wealth an order that will guarantee to every human being free access to the earth and full enjoyment of the necessities of life according to individual desires, tastes, and inclinations. Her anarchism was intensely personal. She believed it was necessary for anarchist thinkers to live their beliefs, demonstrating their convictions with every action, every word. Quote, I don't care if a man's theory for tomorrow is correct. I care if his spirit of today is correct. Anarchism and free association were to her logical responses to the confines of government control and capitalism. Quote, it seems to me that these are the new forms of life and that they will take the place of the old, not by preaching or voting, but by living them, end quote. At the same time, she believed that the movement on behalf of human liberty must be staffed by liberated humans while dancing amongst fellow anarchists one evening she was chided by an associate for her carefree demeanor in her autobiography she said i told him to mind his own business i was tired of having the cause constantly thrown in my face i did not believe that a cause which stood for a beautiful ideal for anarchism for release and freedom from conventions and prejudice should demand denial of life and joy I insisted that our cause could not expect me to behave as a nun and that the movement should not be turned into a cloister. If it meant that, I did not want it. I want freedom, the right to self-expression, everybody's right to beautiful, radiant things. Which makes me think of the very commonly used phrase anymore, dudes like him are why they couldn't have nice things then. (laughs) like how dare you have fun and be enjoying yourself dancing like get the fuck out of here (laughs)
0: yeah um go ahead i'm sorry i don't know what i was gonna say
1: okay um in her political youth uh she held targeted violence to be a legitimate means of revolutionary struggle uh, at the time she believed that the use of violence while distasteful could be justified in relation to the social benefits it might accrue she advocated propaganda of the deed or violence carried out to encourage the masses to revolt which she is a, which is a,
0: which is a bakunin thing for yes for those that don't know
1: um she supported Berkman's attempt to kill Henry Henry Clay Frick, um, and then begged him to allow her to participate because she believed that Frick's actions during the Homestead Strike were reprehensible, and that his murder would produce a positive result for the working people. Yes, she wrote later in her autobiography, the ends in this case justified the means, and they did. You know. Um, while she never gave explicit approval of Leon Solgosk's assassination of uh, U.S. President William McKinley, she defended his ideals and believed actions like his were a natural consequence of repressive institutions. As she wrote in The Psychology of Political Violence, the accumulated forces in our social and economic life, culminating in an act of violence, are similar to the terrors of the atmosphere manifested in storm enlightening her experiences in russia led her to qualify her earlier belief that revolutionary ends might justify violent means in the afterword to my disillusionment in russia she wrote There's no greater fallacy than the belief that aims and purposes are one thing while methods and tactics are another. The means employed become, through individual habit and social practice, part and parcel of the final purpose. In the same chapter, however, Goldman affirmed that revolution is indeed a violent process and noted that violence was, quote, the tragic inevitability of revolutionary upheavals. Some misinterpreted her comments on the Bolshevik terror as a rejection of all militant force, but Goldman corrected this in the preface to the first US edition of My Disillusionment in Russia. The argument that destruction and terror are part of revolution, I do not dispute. I know that in the past, every great political and social change necessitated violence. Black slavery might still be a legalized institution in the United States, but for the militant spirit of the John Browns, I've never denied that violence is inevitable, nor do I gainsay it now. Yet it is one thing to employ violence in combat as a means of defense. It is quite another thing to make the principle of terrorism to institutionalize it, to assign it the most vital place in the social struggle. Such terrorism begets counter-revolution and in turn itself becomes counter-revolutionary.
0: So I wanted to jump in here real quick because, uh, I mean, I do like to, to do this kind of like left unity thing, right? And I think right. that Mao would have agreed with a lot of the things that she's saying. Um, Absolutely. This is, this is out of the Little Red Book. Quote, a revolution is not a dinner party or writing an essay or painting a picture or doing embroidery. It cannot be so refined, so leisurely and gentle, so temperate, kind, courteous, restrained, and magnanimous." A revolution is an insurrection, an act of violence by which one class overthrows another. Yep.
1: Um, so
0: so I, I think they would have been in complete agreement on that, even if they would have hated each other over the, their views of the role of the state.
1: Right. That's one of those things where, when it comes down to our ideals, they overlap. We, you know, we are down for doing the same things in order to end this form of violence that is being done upon the majority of the people in the planet, you know? like <laughs> um, One more reason for less infighting, because when it comes down to it, the only way we're gonna get there is together. And when we can agree on at least the means and that they justify the ends. Right. Or rather the ends justify the means, you know what I mean? once again to
0: quote our our first guest brandon um you know like what difference does our disagreements on the role of the state matter when we're still under capitalism
1: right that's that's the part that is the problem that we need to actually fucking address
0: right um and she Um, she wrote about capitalism and labor quite a bit um There was a lot in Anarchism and Other Essays, which I'm happy to say will be our next um, new Revolutionary Left Book Club series. Um, And I'm pretty excited to read it. But uh, Goldman believed that the economic system of capitalism was incompatible with human liberty. Uh, The only, quote, the only demand that property recognizes This is from anarchism and other essays, is its own gluttonous appetite for greater wealth, because wealth means power. The power to subdue, the power to crush, to exploit, the power to enslave, to outrage, to degrade. She also argued that capitalism dehumanized workers, quote, turning the producer into a mere particle of a machine with less will and decision than his master of steel and iron. I mean, that's pretty straight on the fucking head, isn't it? Yep. Um, I detect no lies. What?
1: No lies detected.
0: <laughs> right?
1: It's on point. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, originally opposed to anything less than complete revolution, Goldman was challenged during one talk by an elderly elderly worker in the front row Uh, And she wrote about it in her autobiography Quote, he said that he understood my impatience with such small demands As few hours less a day or a few dollars more a week But what were men of his age to do? They were not likely to live to see the ultimate overthrow of the capitalist system Were they also to forgo the release of perhaps two hours a, a day from the hated work? That was all they could hope to see realized in their lifetime." Um, and then on her role of the state, obviously, and I'm I'm gonna personally try to like hold back from critiquing this from a Marxist perspective because I'm obviously biased here. <laughs> um,
1: At least you can admit it.
0: <laughs> right, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try my best to be fair and overcome that. Um, but Goldman viewed the state as essentially and inevitably, a tool of control and domination. I want to uh, reflect back to this Chairman Mao quote, a revolution is an insurrection, an act of violence by which one class overthrows another. That implies that at least in the transition period, there should be some sort of control. But anyway, I'm doing exactly what I said I wasn't gonna do. And as a result of her (laughs) anti-state views, Goldman believed that voting was useless at best and dangerous at worst. I tend to agree with that. Uh, voting, she wrote, provided an illusion of participation while masking the true structures of decision-making, money. Yeah. Instead, a Goldman, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Just saying. a complaint we still have today, just saying.
0: Right. <laughs> Uh, instead, Goldman advocated targeted resistance in the form of strikes, protests, and quote, direct action against the invasive meddlesome authority of our moral code. I, I agree with that too, actually. Um, yeah. She maintained an anti-voting position even when many anarcho-syndicalists in 1930s Spain voted for the formation of a liberal republic. Goldman wrote that any power anarchists wielded as a voting bloc should be instead used to strike across the country i think that political action and strikes need to go hand in hand um so i mean i i ultimately agree with that too i guess is my point um she disagreed with the movement for women's suffrage we've talked about that a little bit but i knew we'd be getting into it here so um We're going to hear a little bit of it in her own words. But first, uh, in her essay, Woman Suffrage, she ridicules the idea that women's involvement would infuse the democratic state with a more just orientation. Quote, as if women have not sold their votes, as if women politicians cannot be bought. Elizabeth Warren, AOC, Nina Turner, I mean, Maybe not so much Nina, but I mean, I don't know. Something's up there. She had such wide, popular support, but she didn't win the primary or not the primary the special election. I don't know, man. I have a hard time buying it, but off topic, (laughs) Emma Goldman uh, agreed with the suffragist assertion that women are equal to men, but disagreed that their participation alone would make the state more just, quote, To assume, therefore, that she would succeed in purifying something which is not susceptible of purification is to credit her with supernatural powers. Goldman was also critical of Zionism, which she she saw as another failed experiment in state control. Uh, And she was a passionate critic of the prison system, which I think I speak for basically everybody on the left when I, I think that we all have valid critiques of the prison system. Uh, we might have some slight differences in answer, uh, to solve the problem, but I think it all comes down to abolition for most of us. So I just wanted to point that out. Uh, but she was critiquing both the treatment of prisoners and the, the social causes of crime for real, uh, ahead ahead of her time by decades. Um, Goldman viewed crime as a natural outgrowth of an unjust economic system and in her essay Prisons a Social Crime and Failure she cro- quoted liberally from the 19th century officers or officers authors uh Fyodor Dostoevsky and Oscar Wilde on prisons and wrote quote year after year the gates of prison hells return to the world in an, in an emaciated deformed willless shipwrecked crew of humanity with the cane mark on their foreheads with their hopes crushed all their uh, natural inclinations thwarted with nothing but hunger and inhumanity to greet them these victims soon sink back into crime as the only possibility of existence that's pretty profound yes um Goldman was a committed war resister. We've talked about that quite a bit, uh, specifically about the draft. But she viewed it as one of the worst of the state's forms of coercion and was one of the founders of the No Conscription League, for which she was ultimately arrested and imprisoned and then deported. Goldman was routinely surveilled, arrested and imprisoned for her speech I want to emphasize, for her speech and organizing activities in support of workers in various strikes, access to birth control, and in opposition to World War I. As a result, she came. She became active in the early 20th century free speech movement, seeing freedom of expression as a fundamental necessity for achieving social change. Her outspoken championship of her ideals in the face of persistent arrests Inspired Roger Baldwin, one of the founders of the ACLU. Goldman's and Reitman's experiences in the San Diego free speech fight in 1912 is an example of their persistence in the fight for free speech, despite risking their own safety. Um, and I don't think it would be right if we didn't talk about feminism uh, and and sexuality. Um,
1: Right, because she was very much ahead of her own time in those areas too yeah she was um, she
0: was talking about free love in the 19 teens that wasn't a right. culturally acceptable <laughs> thing till the 60s and they literally right. used the same wording
1: <laughs> <laughs> i know i've noticed that and it's pretty fucking great i like seeing that um you know on It's one of those things, like, although she was hostile to the suffragist goals, she advocated passionately for the rights of women. Um, She just didn't think that the vote was going to accomplish enough. And it's another of those moments that's prophetic that she could see that, okay, getting women the vote isn't necessarily going to get women power over bodily autonomy. Like, eventually, yes, we did get open access to birth control and stuff but look we're still fighting right now for basic rights over our own uteruses because somebody in fucking congress wants to pass laws or somebody who's running the states you know wants to pass laws saying that you know you can't have governance over your own fucking body um so she was very prophetic in that she that the vote alone was not going to get enough shit done it wasn't going to go far enough and part of the problem is there's even women who have such bad internalized misogyny that they vote against their own fucking good there. Um, In 1897, she wrote, I demand the independence of woman, her right to support herself, to live for herself, to love whomever she pleases, or as many as she pleases. I demand freedom for both sexes, freedom of action, freedom in love, and freedom in motherhood. A nurse by training, she was an early advocate for educating women concerning birth control, Uh, Like many feminists of her time, she saw abortion as a tragic consequence of social conditions and birth control as a positive alternative. She was also an advocate of free love and a strong critic of marriage. She saw early feminists as confined in their scope and bounded by the social forces of Puritanism and Capitalism. She wrote, we are in need of unhampered growth out of old traditions and habits. The movement for women's emancipation has so far made but the first step in that direction. So yeah, I Gold-
0: just wanted to interject to say that you were talking about how ahead of her time she is. Read that first sentence.
1: <laughs> but- Go back to where and read what first sentence? Oh, the
0: (laughs) the the next the next sentence you were about to read.
1: Oh my God! Okay, Goldman was also an outspoken critic of prejudice against homosexuals.
0: Boom, nineteen nineteen.
1: Uh huh. And speaking up for gay rights, again, very fucking ahead of her time. Um, Her belief that social liberation should extend to gay men and lesbians was virtually unheard of at the time, even amongst anarchists. As a German sexologist, Magnus Hirschfeld wrote, quote, she was the first and only woman, indeed the first and only American, to take up the defense of homosexual love before the general public. In numerous speeches and letters, she defended the right of gay men and lesbians to love as they pleased and condemned the fear and stigma associated with homosexuality. As Goldman wrote in her letter to Hirschfield, It's a tragedy, I feel, that people of a different sexual type are caught in a world which shows so little understanding for homosexuals and is so crassly indifferent to the various gradations and variations of gender and their great significance in life. So she was not only aware of, you know, various, you know, a a, a fucking sliding scale when it came to sexuality, but also to gender a lot of people would have been completely dumbfounded by that concept at that point in time to add the gender factor in there too because that's huge people didn't want to fucking acknowledge that hell there's people today who still don't want to fucking acknowledge that so this was groundbreaking for that point in time
0: yeah
1: yeah it was um, a committed atheist, Goldman viewed religion as another instrument of control and domination. Her essay, The Philosophy of Atheism, quoted Bakunin at length in, on the subject and added, consciously or unconsciously, most theists see in gods and devils, heaven and hell, reward and punishment, a whip to lash the people into obedience, meekness, and contentment. Atheism. Is the expansion and growth of the human mind. The philosophy of theism, if we can call it a philosophy, is static and fixed. In essays like The Hypocrisy of Puritanism and a speech entitled The Flair of Christianity, Goldman made more than a few enemies amongst religious communities by attacking their moralistic attitudes and efforts to control human behavior. She blamed Christianity for, quote, the perpetuation of a slave society arguing that it dictated individuals' actions on the earth and offered poor people a false promise of plentiful future in heaven. And I I love all of that. Like her thoughts on the subject are pretty similar to my own, like almost verbatim of my arguments against theism because of it being designed to control the masses. Like the only reason that, say for example the christian church got as big as it was or is is because when constantine had the septuagint um go and you know translate the bible into latin and kick it through the entire roman empire he was doing so in a manner that removed the sacred feminine all fucking form of the divine feminine at all and um therefore subjugating immediately half of the fucking population because when you do that, then it makes it that much easier to control the whole fucking lot. Now you've put one gender in the position of being the authority and another subjugated. Um, you're telling people what to do, what they can do. You have a church with its own fucking army enforcing you know, these fucked ideals of what you are allowed to do or not fucking allowed to do it literally exists solely to control people it keeps you meek and content just like she said so it's one of those things that people need to realize why there has been such a huge call for atheism amongst people who are on the left because while a lot of us can look at Jesus's actions and acknowledge, okay, that dude was a socialist. He wanted free healthcare, free food. He was going around trying to feed and heal people in these stories. Um, so, and he was beating the shit out of bankers for exploiting people. So while his example might have been a socialist one, look at the church, look at the majority of people, at least in this country who we see, you know, um, being extremely conservative uh, on the political spectrum and trying to attribute that to their religion because they misinterpreted the whole shit. They took all of the negativity, all of the bad things uh, that were used to justify slavery, to justify sexism, to justify homophobia and clung to that shit instead of looking at even the one that they claim is their God and actually following Jesus's example, instead of all of the other shit prior to that, that was supposed to be a learning lesson of like, this is what not to do. They missed that fucking part intentionally. It was designed that way with the forming of the church as this huge entity that it has become. So if you want to actually look at this from an objective perspective, And actually, see where that drives the harmful facets of government, (laughs) where that drives the harmful facets of even this financial system that we have, of capitalism, of the exploitation. Even that shit's justified when it comes to like Leviticus and Deuteronomy. These things have caused harm, can't be used as the moral compass if it's not very moral in and of itself.
0: Yeah. I agree. Um, So, like, her legacy. um, She was well-known during her life, and she was described as many other things, uh, or among other things, rather, as the most dangerous woman in America. I can see why. Uh Uh-huh. After her death and through the middle part of the... I'm sorry, what?
1: Sorry, my bad. I just, I was saying I would take that as a compliment if I was her. That's fair,
0: (laughs) that's fair. Uh, After her death and through the middle part of the 20th century, her fame kind of faded. Scholars and historians of anarchism viewed her as a great speaker and activist, but did not regard her as a philosophical or theoretical uh, thinker on par with, for example, Kropotkin. But in 1970, Dover Press <coughs> reissued Goldman's biography, autobiography, Living My Life. And in uh, 1972, feminist writer, Alex Cates Shulman, issued a collection of Goldman's writings and speeches, "Red Emma Speaks. These works brought Goldman's life and writings to a larger audience and she was particularly, or in particular, lionized by the women's movement of the late 20th century the free love movement anyone um you know the the radical feminism of the 60s and 70s um in 19 uh yeah in 1973 shulman was asked by a printer friend for a quotation by goldman for use on a t-shirt and she sent him a selection from living my life about quote the right to self-expression everybody's right to beautiful radiant things recounting that she had admi- uh, been admonished quote that it did not behoove an agitator to dance <laughs> <laughs> the printer created a statement based on these sentiments that has become one of goldman's most famous quotations even though she probably never said or wrote it as such <clears throat> but uh quote if i can't dance i don't want to be in your revolution
1: Goddamn damn right Variations
0: of this saying have appeared on thousands of t-shirts, buttons, posters, bumper stickers, coffee mugs, hats, and other merch. Emma Goldman had merch. (laughs) Uh, The women's movement of the 70s that rediscovered Goldman was accompanied by a resurgent anarchist movement beginning in the late 1960s. Um, Yeah, they were a big part of uh, the 1968 uprisings, both in the U.S. and abroad. Um, which is something else we've talked about diving into, but we haven't gotten there yet. We haven't forgotten about 1968.
1: We'll get there.
0: Um, Which also reinvigorated scholarly attention to earlier anarchists. The growth of feminism uh, also initiated some reevaluation of Goldman's philosophical work, with scholars pointing out the significance of Goldman's contributions to anarchist thought in her time. Um, I think... You know, in the in the 40s after her death, I think she was kind of just written off by a lot of academia because she was a woman. Right. Um, anyway. Uh, Goldman's belief in the value of aesthetics, for example, can be seen in the later influences of anarchism in the arts. Similarly, Goldman is now given credit for significantly influencing and broadening the scope of activism, on issues of sexual liberty reproductive rights and freedom of expression goldman has been depicted in numerous works of fiction over the years including warren Beatty's 1980 uh, 81 film reds in which she was portrayed by marine stapleton who won an academy award for that performance um she's also been a character in two broadway musicals ragtime and assassin um and plays depicting Goldman's life include Howard Zinn's play, Emma, Martin Duberman's Mother Earth, Jessica Litwock's Emma Goldman, Love, Anarchy, and Other Affairs, about Goldman's relationship with Berkman and her arrest in connection with McKinley's assassination. There's a whole bunch more. Uh, The point is, is it's not that hard to find. I'm not really trying to, uh, you know, like advertise for all these film creators, but I would like to see the Howard Zinn play
1: right hell I wouldn't even mind watching Warren Beatty's film Reds that could be interesting
0: right Mm -hmm. um Goldman has been honored by a number of organizations (laughs) named in her memory the Emma Goldman Clinic in Iowa City Iowa that's a women's health center selected Goldman as a namesake quote in recognition of her challenging spirit Red Emma's bookstore, Coffee House, and info shop in Baltimore, Maryland adopted her name out of their belief, uh, quote, in the ideas and ideals that she fought for her entire life. Free speech, sexual and racial equality, and independence, the right to organize in our jobs and in our own lives, ideas and ideals that we continue to fight for even today. That's that's pretty dope. And, And I mean, of course, you know... Since the 1970s, she's really been kind of talked about a lot more in anarchist circles. And I I think it's a shame that she was overlooked in the first place. Right. But still to this day, she's an inspiration to many. Um, But yeah, that pretty much wraps up our our series about Emma Goldman. Um, look for our Anarchism and Other Essays series. Um, it's it's going to be a little bit before they're public, but they will be published on Patreon, Patreon for our patrons um, <laughs> early. And uh, that being said, that's going to be a regular thing that's that's why we're taking uh, a week or two off of the the usual uh streaming schedule to you know narrow it down to a, a a couple instead of a few and uh build up content so that way we actually have something to offer our patrons that being said if you would like to see our material essentially as it is recorded um visit patreon.com for we are many there is a link um, at forwearemany. uh, which is our website, we're all over social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. If you would like to help us run any of those pages, uh, then we could use the
1: help. <laughs> right, we're old. We don't know how to tick the talk. We suck at it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Please don't tick the talk someone
0: agreed uh if you would (laughs) like to write long form articles or editorial pieces or opinion pieces um we're happy to publish those on our website and we'll even help you promote them Um, or if you would like to join the central committee whether that's you know being on the air like we are if that's just helping us organize and arrange things or helping us promo whatever it is that you are willing to contribute to this. We are, you know, gracious to uh, accept your help. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, that's all I got, really.
1: Um, yeah, I think you covered it all. I don't know. We're still um, doing awkward sign-offs. Because that's awesome. That's who we are. <laughs> that, that
0: certainly is who we are um so in the near future though just to give you a little sneak uh, sneak peek (laughs) um i don't have a timeline for when they'll be public but over the next few weeks they will at least be available on patreon We're, we're we're gonna we have a bunch of shit in the tube coming down the tube um i've already mentioned it twice the series about uh not about the series where we're reading and talking about anarchism and other essays by emma goldman um we've got after we're done with bobby Seale's book we're going to read eldridge cleaver's book <laughs> so uh we're going to keep the black panther party series um except for it'll oh, be yeah. from, it'll be from a different perspective it'll be a different book um, and I'm pretty excited about that one too, because Bobby Seale's book has been so enlightening. I, I can't even, real. I have a hard time putting words to how much I learned from that book. And we're not right. even done with it yet.
1: Right. It's been beautiful reading it. it. Dude, the way he describes things, I just, I love his speaking voice. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. And it like,
0: totally is.
1: <laughs> it's fucking great, man. Like, dude beautiful absolutely beautiful and also heartbreaking at certain points the way that he was treated as well as other panthers i mean for fuck's sake when you're getting capped walking down the fucking street simply for being a panther and the cops are capping you or fucking shooting out your entire fucking home like they did to friend hapton you know um like, it's, it's fucking crazy. The things that they endured and still kept fighting. Yeah.
0: Um, so for upcoming, we have a few uh, upcoming biography pieces and historical pieces. I have no idea what order we're going to record or release them in, so I'm not going to try to give you that yet. Um, but just so you guys know what what is coming down the tube, uh, the Detroit Riots... Uh, The 1947 telephone strike, the Ford Battle of the Overpass, uh, the Homestead strike, the Spanish Civil War, and then for biography-type ones, there's going to be Bobby Seale, the Black Liberation Army, and Eldridge Cleaver, um, obviously also kind of following along that Black Panther uh, tradition. So, Lots of things coming down the tube. Um, And it's all available on our website. It's all available on podcast platforms. It's all available on YouTube and Facebook. Um, So, I mean, you can can listen or watch at your own convenience. You can start back at the beginning. I mean, I know that that's a big undertaking. It took me a long time to catch up on Revolutionary Left Radio. You know, because I started that from the beginning and I'm glad I did. I, I got to see the growth of the program, which is just impressive. Is. I mean, they started out much like us, except for it was one guy doing all the talking with guests. And, uh, you know, now it's a whole project, you know, like it's a whole network, really. There's spin off podcasts and spin off social media groups and you know, it's just impressive. And um,
1: those guys are so awesome in what they do, too. They're very thorough and detailed and inspiring as fuck.
0: Agreed. Um, but anyway, that's the end of this stream. Thank you again for tuning in. Um,
1: yeah. that's <laughs> That's really all I got. All right. We'll see you later for some more book club sessions. Also, thank you for bearing with us while we figure out the Monday, Tuesday switches here with the live streams for the current events on Monday. (laughs) We'll keep you tuned. Indeed. (laughs) And updated and all that good stuff. (laughs) Have a great
0: night.
1: Indeed. Love you guys. Thank you for joining us.